Healthy Hacker, episode 13. Welcome to The Healthy Hacker, where we talk about programming, puzzles, memory fitness diet, and everything else that you, a healthy hacker, find interesting. I'm Chris Hunt, and this week, I almost didn't do an episode, because I am dropping the mic right after this recording and headed to Buenos Aires to go to RubyConf, Argentina. But I changed my mind at the last minute and decided to record an episode because I love you. I'm just kidding. It's because I thought of a topic For the episode, I've been thinking so much about this talk that I'm doing that this week I didn't have a ton of time to prepare for a topic for this episode. But what better topic than talking about how I prepared for this conference talk? Because that's fun to talk about, right? So today I'm going to share why I speak at conferences and why you might want to speak at a conference as well, how I picked the topic that I did for this conference, how I got my talk accepted, and how you can get your talk accepted through the CFP process, the goals I have when preparing a talk, and finally, how I actually write a talk so that I can give it. So that's going to be fun, and I'm excited to talk about that. Before we get into that, though, let's do the workout of the week. The workout of the week is a section where I like to take a workout that I've done recently or seen recently or somebody told me about and it looks fun and I share it with you and hopefully sometime this week you'll get a chance to try it as well. This week's workout is one that I just did a few days ago and it was so terrible that I wanted to share it with you so that you can try it as well. And this is one of those workouts that is amazing for travel, just like most of the workouts I share. I do like to travel, so that's why I kind of stick with these travel-friendly workouts. So let me tell you how this workout goes down. You're going to need some kind of stopwatch that's able to count down from one minute to zero, or from zero to a minute, just some one-minute timer, okay? Start that one-minute timer, and during that minute, do as many burpees as you can. This is a sprint. Just go full out burpees to the ground until you are totally dead, until that one minute timer stops. If you've never done a burpee before, as usual, head on over to the show notes at healthyhacker.com slash 13, and I'll have a video for you. They're pretty simple. You go from the standing position where you're standing totally normal, and then bring your body all the way down to the ground so you're flat on the ground, stomach, chest, thighs, toes, everything just flat on the ground, and then push yourself back up again to your standing. So a lot of times you'll see people do a push-up and then bring their feet forward. Sometimes you'll see people just jump into like this low squat and stand up. Whatever works for you, the point is just to go from a standing position to flat on the ground, and however you want to do that is totally fine. So check the video if that doesn't make sense to you. After you've done that one minute of burpees, then start the timer again and rest. So you have one minute of rest. And then you do that whole sequence four more times. So here it is, the workout again. Five total rounds of one minute of burpees followed by one minute of rest. And your score for this workout is going to be the total number of burpees that you're able to complete in the five rounds. When I did this a few days ago, I almost killed myself and got 119 burpees. So good luck, have fun, and if you want to share your score in the show notes, you can do that at healthyhacker.com slash 13. 
why do conferences exist and why do people go to them? You know, why do people travel across the world or across the country and spend tons of money on airfare and hotels and food to sit with a bunch of random strangers and talk about stuff? And why do companies sponsor these things? And why is there a conference almost every single weekend in some part of the world? Now, I'm thinking mostly about technical conferences because those are the ones that I like to go to. But for a lot of the people that I've met, one of the reasons is, you know, travel is fun. Get to go to an exotic location, someplace you've never been, kind of do this different thing that you don't usually get to do. You know, you get to eat out every night. Most of the time, the company's paying. It's kind of like a little mini vacation, but then you can say I'm learning at the same time, right? Then there's other people that travel for their company. You know, maybe these are people that work at booths at conferences. Maybe they're sponsoring the event or maybe they're like a developer evangelist. You know, these are people that have a product or an API or clothing even that they're just trying to promote to developers. And so they go to conferences to just surround themselves with developers and, you know, make connections and let them know, hey, check out this thing that's just for you that exists and you should start using it. And I'm here to help. You know, I'm a developer evangelist. But a vast majority of the people I think that I've met, at least at Ruby conferences, are at the conference simply to meet people. You know, they have all these people they talk to on Twitter, they talk on GitHub, or they have people they used to work with at different companies. And going to a conference is a way to meet all these people or see them again. You know, it's this weird thing where you just get off the airplane and go to this, you know, magical conference location and you're just totally surrounded by people who are into this thing and they can't stop talking about it. For a Ruby conference, that means the hotel is just packed with people on their laptops People are just busting out pairing sessions and working on random projects, working on open source projects, talking about problems they're having at work, new libraries they're using, all kinds of stuff. Things are happening. People are meeting each other. They're just having a good time. And that's the reason why I think most people go to conferences. It's the reason why I go to conferences. And I think that's the reason why a lot of conferences even exist, is to help facilitate this community thing. So that brings me then to my next question, which is, why speak at a conference. So if you can just attend a conference and get all these amazing benefits, right? Pitching your product or get to see this fancy location or you get to meet a bajillion people and pair on random projects and learn all this cool stuff. Why would you even bother to spend all the time preparing a talk and being nervous about it the entire time when you can just show up and have fun, right? Why would you bother speaking at a conference? Well, it turns out all of those reasons that get you to a conference, the reasons you go to a conference, are all vastly improved when you speak, like orders of magnitude. For one, companies are much more likely to send you to conferences if you're speaking, because that's free PR for them. So you get to see more exotic locations and go to more conferences if you're a speaker. If you have an API or product or something you want to put in front of developers, you're going to get way more eyeballs if you're speaking at that conference, right? When you stand up on a stage, for some reason, everybody out there attending the conference thinks you're a big cheese. They think you know what you're talking about. They think you're an expert in your field. You have all this experience. You've spoken around the world. You've written books. You don't have to do any of that stuff. The secret is all speakers, everybody that gives a talk at a conference is exactly the same as you, except they applied to the CFP and got their talk accepted. That's it. There's nothing special about a speaker other than they have chosen to speak and you have not chosen to speak. If you go to a conference to meet people, this is also extremely easy once you're a speaker. When I went to my first conference, Steel City Ruby, which was a few years ago, it was one of the most 
awkward, uncomfortable experiences I've ever had. The conference was great, but just like going into a room of all these people I don't know and and trying to just interject myself into conversations and introduce myself and say, hey, hi, I'm Chris. I'm from Seattle or San Francisco or wherever I was living at the time. You know, hey, what are you working on? What company are you from? It, it was really awkward for me to just walk up to random people and do that. And I bet it's kind of awkward for most of you too, right? But when you're a speaker, that role is totally reversed. It's crazy how well this works. If you go to a conference and you give a talk, then for the rest of the conference, no matter how good your talk was or how bad your talk was or how related or unrelated your topic is, for the rest of the conference, you're going to have people coming up to you and introducing themselves and asking you questions and starting the conversation. It takes all the awkwardness out of meeting new people and working on fun, random side projects, which is the reason why a lot of people go to conferences. So if you want to get the most out of a conference and go to more conferences and have more fun and have you know larger opportunity to do all these amazing things, speaking is going to get you there much faster, and it's going to make the overall amount of work you need to do to have a good time much lower. The secret to getting the most out of a conference is speaking at a conference. If you have never tried to give a talk before, I encourage you this next year, you know, these next 12 months, if you're a conference goer, try your best to speak at more conferences than you attend. It sounds impossible, I know. If you've never given a talk, you're like, how, why are people even going to accept my talk? But I promise you, it's totally worth it. Okay, so hopefully now you're like, I want to speak at a conference. I get it. This sounds amazing. Let's do this. So the next step probably in getting ready to speak at a conference is going to be to pick a topic, right? What am I going to talk about? And I know a lot of people, myself included, this is a really tough part because I'm boring, right? I don't work on interesting things. You know, all the projects at work are boring. It's just normal stuff. I don't have these large-scale problems I need to solve. I'm not particularly good at testing. You know, I suck at using my text editor. I'm not this amazing skilled person with all this stuff that I just can like blow up the room with. There's nothing interesting about me. Well, to be honest, that's probably not true, okay? The best thing to talk about at a conference, especially for your first talk, is something that you think is super boring. Something that you're just like, I don't even want to talk about this. It's so obvious. This is the most boring thing ever. And the reason why that's such a good topic is because you're bored with it. You know so much about this thing that you just assume everybody else in the world knows as much as you do. You're totally bored with it because there's nothing really more for you to learn, right? Everybody else at that conference has probably not spent as much time as you learning about that thing. And they are totally gonna eat up that information. So for example, me, I am bored with the Rubik's Cube. Believe it or not, as much as I talk about the Rubik's Cube, I barely solve it on a day-to-day -day basis. I am totally bored with this thing. There was a period in my life where I was obsessed with the Rubik's Cube, but right now, I don't really particularly enjoy talking about it. I don't particularly enjoy reading books about it or reading papers about it or learning new solutions. It's fun. I mean, I'm glad that I know what I know about the cube, but it's not something I would consider myself super excited about anymore. You know, it's old news for me. But for a lot of people out there, they have spent zero time thinking about the Rubik's Cube. So any little pieces of information I can provide, any like, check this out. Hey, here's how to solve the cube in 20 seconds. Here's how to solve the cube blindfolded. These things are things that I've done so many times that they're extremely boring. 
But for everybody else, it's this whole new, magical, exciting world. And everything I say is dropping these massive knowledge bombs and people are just like blown away by the amount of stuff they're learning and all the fun they're having, right? So every person has something like this. We all have 24 hours in every day and we all spend it doing something. Maybe you read books. Maybe you have hobbies like the Rubik's Cube, other puzzles. Maybe you're really into fitness. Maybe you're into stamp collecting. I've never, I have no interest in collecting stamps, but I bet you if somebody was really, really into stamp collecting, they had all this awesome information and pictures of their stamps and talked about, oh, the history of these stamps, the history of stamps in general, I would love to watch that talk. I would love to watch a person really excited about stamps teach me everything about stamps in half an hour. That would be amazing, right? So for your first talk, try to think of that topic that's boring to you, something that you do every day or that you don't really think about because it's so easy, and write that down because that's probably a good topic that you can use for a talk. Another way to find a good topic is to think about something you just learned, like within the last week or within the last month. Maybe you just finished a big project. This could be at work. This could be at home. You know, these things don't need to be directly related to the conference that you want to speak at. Just think about anything, any little pieces of information, something recent, something you struggled with, something you learned. Again, this is like, you know, if I was at work and, you know, for the last six months, I've been working on updating my Rails 2 app to Rails 4. And I had to read all kinds of crap to get there. I had to read blog posts. I had to read books. I had to refactor all my tests. I had to do all this work. You know, it's probably one of the most boring things ever if you were to sit there and watch somebody do it. But I bet you there are a lot of people out there that need to do that same thing or that have not tried updating Rails before. And they would love to hear the things you did to learn how to get there. And the nice thing about this is you just did it. So you still have all the context surrounding the problem. You have all the blog posts you read. You have the books you bought. You have a like specific story that you can tell of going from you know Rails 2 to Rails 4. And these are exactly the things that I did to get there. And you don't need to try to remember because it's fresh in your mind. And like I said, this doesn't have to be stuff you're doing at work, right? This can be totally unrelated. Say you're at home and you, you know, baked your first tin of muffins. I don't know. I'm just making this up. But you've never baked anything before. You went through this process of learning how to bake. What goes in the perfect muffin? Here's the people I talk to. Here's this great forum. Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of information that you learned. It doesn't feel like it. But all that time you spent getting to that point and all that learning you've done is stuff that nobody else has done. And you can share that with people in that 30-minute talk, and they're going to get a lot out of it. So an example of this for me is memory stuff. I haven't been memorizing things for that long. It's been about eight months now, but the whole thing is new to me. You know, memorizing cards, memorizing numbers, memorizing faces. And when I explain it to people now, I feel like I'm telling the same story over and over and over again. But every time I talk about it, people are really excited because they've spent no time learning about memory. And just the idea of being able to memorize stuff, something that seems impossible, is really exciting. And the last strategy I use for trying to find a topic for a talk is to think about things that I want to learn but haven't spent the time learning yet. This is a little bit more tricky because you don't actually know this thing yet. <laughs> so how are you going to talk about it, right? This is a big commitment. So I don't necessarily like this approach just because a lot of times when I'm going to do a talk, I don't have like a whole month blocked off that I can just work on the talk. So I need to squeeze in the practice when I can and squeeze in the preparation when I can. 
And to bite off a whole new topic that I haven't spent any time working on, that could be a little bit daunting. This is a big commitment. I would almost rather just spend time learning something new, and then when I get to the point that I'm comfortable talking about it, then propose a talk. So I don't know if I actually recommend this approach, but I've heard this is very common. When people want to learn about something, they'll often propose a talk about it. And then when that talk's accepted, they'll have all this external motivation to actually learn that thing. Okay, so now you are going to speak at a conference and you have a topic, right? How do you actually get your talk in front of conference organizers and have them say, yes, please come to our conference and speak? This process, at least for technical conferences, the ones that I've spoken at, is called the CFP or the call for papers. What conference organizers like to do is they pick a date far out in the future, six months, four months, maybe a year. It's more common, I think, that it's probably about six months. And they'll announce to the world, here is our conference. It's going to be right here. These are the dates. This is the topic. And we would love for you to send us talk ideas. And those talk ideas are called papers or proposals. And I think the term CFP, call for papers, comes from academia, because typically when you're in grad school and you're researching a topic, you'll write a paper about it. And then academic conferences will have a call for papers where they'll request people to submit those papers and then they get to look over all the papers and decide who they want to present at their conference. At a technical conference, we don't really have papers, but we've kind of cargo culted the whole CFP thing. All a CFP is, is a conference asking anybody in the world to submit some topic that they want to talk about. And usually the form that they like is a short paragraph, maybe five sentences, six sentences, outlining the thing that you want to talk about and what you want to tell the conference attendees. So the first step to actually getting your talk into the CFP process is learning that there's even a CFP out there, right? So for me, the place that I find out about CFPs is a website called Lanyard, which is named after, you know, like the lanyard you wear at a conference, haha. And this is a place where a lot of conference organizers announce that their conference is happening and then announce that they have a CFP. So on Lanyard, you can follow specific topics that you're interested in, like Ruby or JavaScript or puzzles, whatever, and you'll be notified when there's a CFP available for that type of conference. The other way that I find out about conference CFPs is on Twitter. If there's a specific conference that I want to speak at, I'll follow that conference on Twitter. And usually when they have a CFP or when they know the dates of the conference, they'll announce it and you'll see it in your Twitter stream. Other good people to follow on Twitter are conference organizers because they often tweet about their conference as well. And then there are some Twitter accounts that only tweet CFPs. That's their entire purpose. One of my favorite is Callback Women. And this feed is specifically for promoting diversity in CFPs. So a lot of times when you have a CFP, you know, you'll have like 90% male, 10% female following this conference organizer. And they'll tweet, hey, our CFP's open. And now you have 90% men and 10% women that actually heard about the CFP. So guess what? That's the same ratio you get when people submit for papers. But the nice thing about these other Twitter accounts like Callback Women is they're telling these conference organizers and telling conference at large, hey, let us know that your CFP is available and we can pass the word along. We can let groups that don't usually hear about CFPs know that there's a CFP so that you get more diversity in your call for papers and your conference is way better than it would be if you didn't let us know about your CFP. So Twitter accounts like those are also a great place 
to find out about conferences coming up that would like people to send talk ideas. So here are a few tips for writing a good CFP, because this is kind of an art form in itself. I mean, the talk is one thing, the topic is one thing, but the CFP is actually what gets you in the door. This is the only thing that conference organizers are going to see when deciding to accept or deny your talk at their conference. So it's actually extremely important. Think of this talk proposal as an advertisement, because that's what it is. You're saying, here's this thing I want to sell you, this thing I want to show you, and here are all the reasons why it's amazing and why you're going to absolutely love it. That's the approach you want to take. So when you're writing your talk proposal, don't talk about me, don't talk about I, talk about you and we. Talk about all the things that you are going to learn as a conference attendee. You know, when you leave this conference, you're going to know how to do X, Y, and Z. You're going to have so much fun because we're doing live demonstrations. We're going to go over here and do this. We're going to go over here and do this. Nobody wants to hear about you and your achievements. They want to hear about all the cool stuff that they're going to learn by listening to your talk. So when you're writing this talk abstract, imagine that you are standing in front of everybody at the conference and reading it to them. You are telling them, hey, look, I know there's these five other rooms over here, these five other talks going on, but you want to come to my talk, and this is why. These are all the things that you're going to learn only in my talk, and holy crap, are they going to be amazing. So I may not be the best writer of a talk abstract. But here's something I sent to Gogoruko when I was trying to get him really excited about the Rubik's Cube, all right? You ready for this? Here it goes. Come to San Francisco as a Rubyist, leave as a speed cuber. We are going to use Ruby, a video camera, and an insane amount of live demonstration to learn how to solve the Rubik's Cube in less than 20 seconds. You will leave this talk knowing which cube to buy, which of the five most popular solving methods you should be learning, how to practice for speed, where to ask questions, and how Ruby can help teach you to be the fastest speed cuber in town. People are solving the Rubik's Cube quicker today than any time in history, and there's a reason why. Super exciting, right? I'm just like practically yelling at you. In fact, I probably was doing a little bit of yelling while I was reading that in my super excited voice. So remember, with the CFP, talk directly to the attendees, tell them exactly what they are going to learn and what they're going to leave your talk with, and be excited. Think of it as an advertisement. One more tip for the CFP is submit your talk as early as possible, and there's a really good reason for this. If you look at any conference in the past six months or so, a lot of them are using the same kind of CFP software, and they'll show you a pretty graph that shows when people have submitted talks. And every time I look at one of those graphs, you know what I see? I see on the first day that the CFP opened, there was zero papers submitted. On the second day, there's one. On the third day, there's zero. The fourth day, there's two. The fifth day, there's zero. The sixth day, there's five. And the seventh day, there's zero. And then on the very last day, of the CFP, the final closing day at midnight, there are 300 papers submitted. Everybody waits until the last minute. Every single person, except for this like tiny minority that decided to submit before the CFP closed. And the conference organizers, there's only usually two or three of these people, sometimes four. They're all sitting around a table or at home and they're reading every single one of these talk abstracts and they're trying to decide who's going to speak at the conference, and who's not going to speak at the conference. And on that last day, 
when they get 300 coming in, guess what? You got to really stand out if you want people to notice your talk. And when they're reading online in this forum software that you've submitted through, you know, you don't have pretty pictures, you don't have audio files, your text looks the same as everybody else. So you're at a real disadvantage if you're submitting on the last day of the CFP along with the entire rest of the world. If you take the time to write your talk abstract early and get it in early, then most of the organizers are going to get a chance to spend more time with your talk abstract, and they're going to be thinking about it for much longer than everybody else's that submits on the last day. So do yourself a favor and submit for the CFP early and don't wait until the last minute. All right, so now you've submitted your talk abstract to a CFP, and hopefully you were accepted, right? If you weren't accepted, that's okay too. A good idea is just to drop an email to the organizers, and if they have time, they'll be able to let you know some improvements you can make to your talk abstract, and then you can refine it and submit it to another conference when you see another conference that interests you. So all is not lost. If the talk gets turned down, just save that away, make it a little bit better based on some feedback, and then submit it to another conference that you're interested in speaking at. You know, eventually you are going to get your talk accepted if you take the feedback and apply it and just really make it as good as you can make it. Okay, so now your talk abstract has been accepted and you're totally going to go to a conference. It's on the calendar. You're excited. You talk to your company and they're like, woohoo, we're going to send you. And you're just like really totally excited and nervous. Now it's actually time to start writing that talk. So a lot of people when they're writing their first talk, or even some people I've seen that have done a lot of talks, they think the goal of a talk is to teach people something. And I totally see, you know, why people would think that. It makes sense. It's, you know, a conference is kind of like a classroom. Everybody's sitting in the room looking at you, and you have the freedom to say whatever you want to say, and it's a technical conference, so you feel kind of obligated to, you know, have people think that you're smart and leave the conference just very enlightened. But believe it or not, a good talk doesn't necessarily teach people anything. You know, I've never gone to dinner after a conference with other attendees and had them say, oh my gosh, that last talk at the conference, oh man, I feel so smart after that. I feel like I just, I feel like I learned so much. Uh, I've got these great notes. I'm so excited to go back home and just learn more about it. I love it. No, I've never heard that. What I usually hear after a conference when I'm at dinner with somebody else and they're sitting next to me telling me about their favorite talk, they usually sound like this. Holy crap! Did you see the robot talk? Oh my goodness, it was amazing. He just said, the, the robot left the stage, it flew over everybody, my hair was blowing back, it fell down in the back and knocked over the sign. Oh my goodness, it was crazy. And at the end of the talk, he, he open sourced the library and we all went online and started controlling the robot from our seats. Oh my goodness. People like to be entertained and talks should be entertaining, you know? Like he said earlier, why do people come to conferences? They come to conferences to meet people, to see exotic locations, to have their company pay for stuff for them. All the way down at the bottom of that list of reasons why people come to conferences is to learn about your gem or learn about whatever. Learning is something that happens at a conference, but that is not why people come to conferences. People come to conferences to be excited, to have a good time, and to be inspired so that when they get home, they can continue learning and have the energy to do it. So when you're writing your talk, 
Try to imagine everybody at dinner after the conference and imagine them talking about your talk. What are they going to say? What really stood out? What was the really fun part? What did they learn? What are they going to go home and learn, right? Excited people that love to talk about you and talk about the topic you talked about. That's a lot of talking. These people are going to learn more because they're going to be more excited about it, right? When people travel all around the world or across the country to come sit in a room for half an hour and stare at you, you have this amazing ability now. You have the ability to use, to use sound, to use motion, to get people to stand up, to get people to sit down, to interact with people. There's all this stuff that you can't do in a slide deck or in a blog post or in your Twitter feed. Take advantage of that meat space. Make it exciting. Try to put on a show. It sounds crazy, but you can do it, I promise. And people are going to be more excited about your talk and they're going to find it much more memorable than if you just went up there and read some slides. Try to take advantage of that meat space so much that a slide deck or a blog post isn't enough to get across the message that you had to share. Make it exciting and fun. You know, be the blue man group, put on a magic show, I don't care. Do something because people are gonna enjoy your talk more if you make it entertaining and less about teaching them like they're in a classroom, okay? One other pro tip for delivering your talk is you don't need an introduction. Start off right from the beginning with some amazing content and hook people in so they close their laptops and pay attention to what you have to say. Everybody at the conference knows who you are, they know how to find you on Twitter, they know how to find you on GitHub, and they know how to find your website. They even know how to find where you work if they're interested in that information. So you don't need to do an intro. When you come on the stage, blow up in front of people, show them, holy smokes, look at this thing we're about to learn, get them really excited, and for the rest of that 30 minutes, they are going to be staring at you and totally engaged. Make it as entertaining as possible. Okay, that's about it. Let's go on to the final little bits of info I have for you here, and this is for actually writing the talk. We know we want to talk, we know how to submit to the CFP now, and we know the way that we want to deliver our talk, we want to make it exciting, entertaining, and why we want to do that. But you know, what's the process for actually writing a talk? Starting with a blank piece of paper and coming up with something that's half an hour and somewhat interesting. How do you do that? Well, a lot of the people that I've talked to seem to do it totally differently. You know, some people like to open up their presentation software like Keynote and just start making slides and pumping them out and rearranging slides. Some people like to open up a text document and make kind of like an outline of the things they want to talk about, and that way they can visualize what the talk's going to look like and just keep adding stuff as they think of stuff. But the strategy I like to use for writing a talk is a little bit different and kind of strange, but it really works well for me. So what I like to do when I have a talk that I want to now write, I usually start with just a blank piece of paper. I wait until my house is empty, so I'm the only one at home, and I just give the talk as if I had it prepared. So I start from the beginning and I go all the way to the end and I deliver my talk as if I had 500 people in front of me all staring at me, listening to what I have to say. Now, I've done no talk preparation, right? So my talk is pretty horrible and it doesn't go over so well, but that's okay because the house is empty, right? The point is I'm pretending that I'm doing it in front of 500 people and this is the real deal. So what this allows me to do is go from point A, the very beginning of the talk, or where I think I want to start, and go all the way to point Z, the final closing, you know, bold statement that I want to make, 
And because I'm saying it out loud and I'm talking through the things and trying to make it flow well, I'm hitting all these speed bumps and I'm getting confused and I keep backtracking and I, you know, I get to points where I just assume that everybody has all this knowledge that I haven't actually explained yet or I, it, it's very confusing. So as I'm giving this talk to this invisible group of people on this piece of paper that's in front of me, I'm writing down stuff. I'm writing down the stuff that worked really well, just stuff that magically happened. I improvised and it worked out really well. I write that down to make sure I get that in the actual talk. But then I also write down stuff that was horrible. You know, like we got to the middle of the talk and we had nowhere else to go. I just you know, I had to stop early. So I would write that down and, and hopefully I'd be able to make connections better the second time. Or maybe I get to a point in the talk where I'm just going in circles. You know, I keep backtracking and saying, oh wait, no, it's actually like this. Backtrack more, oh wait, no, it's actually like this. So I got to write that down too. And at the end of this talk, this fake talk, I now have a sheet of paper that's got a list of good things and a list of things that were not so good. So before I go do this talk again, a second time now with nobody in the room, I'm just going to go through this list and try to improve all the spots that were horrible. You know, maybe I gotta do some research on this topic. Maybe I have to reorganize some things so that it flows a little bit better. Maybe I realize to get from the beginning to the end, I'm, I'm totally missing an element that I need to just figure something out to put in there, right? So just filling in those holes, and again, this is just on a piece of paper, trying to make a flow that works and that's comfortable and that I can deliver and I don't feel bad about. So once I've done that, I'll stand up and give the talk again. And I'm not looking at the paper while I'm giving this talk. I'm just going based on my memory, based on the things that I've learned from last time. And this paper here that I'm working with just serves as a reference that I can go back to and look if I really get stuck. But every time I'm running through the talk, even these first couple times, I'm not looking at anything. I'm just going from memory. And this helps me a lot because when I finally get on that stage, six months from now or a week from now if I've waited... I am already used to speaking out loud. I'm already used to using my body language, you know, doing it just like I would normally do it. I'm already used to improvising when I mess stuff up. And I've already got the whole talk memorized, probably a bajillion different versions of it too. But when I'm up there on the stage in the moment, the last thing I need to think about is delivering the talk because I've already done it over and over and over again. I did it just for my dog, but I did it in such a way that when I go to actually give the real talk, there's nothing special about it. It's just like I've practiced. So that's it. That's all I have to say about conference talks, really. If you're thinking about doing one for the first time and you want somebody to kind of look over your talk proposal before sending it off, I'd be glad to do that for you. Just send me an email and try to make your abstract, you know, as awesome as you would for a CFP. And I'll give you any feedback I can. I'm not a conference organizer. I don't go to them every weekend, but I will absolutely help you in any way I can. If you want to find the show notes for this week's episode, it's at healthyhacker.com slash 13. And finally, if you want to ask me a question or just hear yourself on the podcast, send me a voicemail at healthyhacker.com slash voicemail. 